Hey guys, this is uh, Bill Farrell. Uh, this is Rock Bottom to Recovery, episode 21. Um, today, our guest speaker behind me um, is Boston City Councilor at Large, Anissa Asabi George. Um, Anissa is, let me put on my reading glasses so I make sure I get everything right. Anissa, if I get anything wrong, I'm sure you'll correct me. I will. Uh, so, um, um, you actually, let's just start. You are a mother, a teacher, and a small business owner, correct? I am. I'm a former teacher now. A former teacher. Okay. Uh, you are a mother of four. I am. And you know what's Four what's boys. Fun? Yep, four boys. And I was, uh, I was reading your bio, and it said a proud mom of four boys. And I thought, immediately, <laughs> immediately I thought, my mom was a proud mom of three boys. And when the neighbors would come and say, the Farrell boys did this, the Farrell boys did that, my mom would be like, my babies didn't do that. And then <laughs> later on in life, we had to tell her, no, Ma, we did that. And uh, she was like, or she wasn't so proud anymore. <laughs> so That's funny. Uh, yeah, no, they have, they have their moments. Yeah, they do. But, um, yeah, so you're a mother. We always hope for the best. Mothers always hope for the best. Of course. This is why moms rock, you know? Mm. My my mom saved us from my uh, father, and um, you know uh, my my wife saves my boys from me sometimes, and I'm sure um, the same with you. Um, well, I know my mother. My father worked second shift a lot. Yeah, mostly. And my mother would always say to me, especially when I was older, "As long as you're home before your father, as long as you're home before your father." <laughs> That's good. So. Um, so, um, Anissa, um, so let's see, um, I put in, um, so your, your kids actually go to Boston public schools. You, you grew up in Dorchester. Um, so, uh, if anybody doesn't know, if anybody's just, um, uh, we are live on Facebook, but we're also on uh, Podbean and we're also on iTunes. So you can listen to our past episodes. There's 20 of them, 21 of them now. So, um. Our guest today is Boston City Councilor at Large, Anissa Sabi George. Um, so you are um, the at large. There's four of you at large, right? Yeah. Councilors. There are you- thir- 13, 13 councilors um, altogether, nine districts, and yep. four of us are at large. And so, um, and you guys, all 13 of you guys um, will create, pass, and amend laws as well as approve the um, city's budget every year, right? Yep, and we're actually in the middle of the city's budget as we speak. Um, it's, you know, a three, $3.2 billion budget or so, and we have about 36 to 40 hearings um, that are on. We're in the second week of hearings now. It'll last till about the middle of June, and um, we get to a point where we'll eventually either pass or reject the mayor's proposed budget. Different than, you know, many of your listeners and viewers might be aware of sort of the state process, and there's conversations about taking out or adding in items. Yep. Uh, the way it works with the city's charter, we either approve or reject the mayor's budget overall. Okay, and then um, um, and then from there, what happens when it, you, if, say, you rejected it? Do they go back, or does he just... What's the man do? If if there were a ch- if if the budget were rejected, and I'm trying to think, am I? I've been on the council now just over two years. This is my third budget process. We haven't rejected the budget. Uh, if we were, my understanding is it would revert 
all the departments would revert to last year's dollar amounts. Oh, okay. Until um, things could be worked out? Until things could be worked out. I think that generally they are worked out. We have in our state, in our city charter, we have until the very last day of June to work it out. The um, And the budget is divided up into a couple of different groups, but most, most focus is on the general operating budget, which is all city departments, with the exception of the schools, which have their own budget, just mm -hmm. over a billion dollars. I chair the council's committee on education, so a lot of my focus is around that school's budget. And then I also chair the committee on homelessness, mental health, and recovery. So I also have very um, a lot of uh, I spend a lot of time talking about what we're doing as a city as it relates to some housing issues, but really how it relates to our public health commission and the work that happens um, helping some of our most vulnerable residents. Well, you know, and, and one of the reasons I reached out to you, I, I, is I work with um, Anissa's sister, and, uh, and but I read a lot about you in the paper um, and um, and the things that you were doing. And, and I know I was, I had, I was looking at something about the, the safe injection um, sites because, um, you know, we, my facility, we're right there on um, what they call methadone mile. Um, um, I think um, if there's a – do they call it recovery mile now or something? Isn't that the – Some people refer to it as recovery row. Um, recovery I row. refer to it as uh, Mass and Cass. It's sort of the geographical location, the intersection of Mass Ave and Melnia Cass. That's right. There's – you know, we – you know, as we do this work, as you do your work – we try to, I think, improve our language and, um, and, and and try to remove some of the stigma that's attached to people who are in active addiction and you know looking for a lifetime of recovery. And for you know, and I live not far from um, from that intersection, and for a long time we just we called it Meth Mile. That's what yeah. it was, and yeah. you know, trying to improve our language. I think Recovery Row is. Not a terrible term, but I also think that uh, that has certain implications to some people and, um, you know, both pro and con. Right. I'd, I'd like to think that there was more recovery happening along um, that stretch. So it's just easier. And I forget who, who shared the term with me before, but I think it's just easier to go with mass and cast. Yeah, mass. And, I, I'll remember that one. Um, I drive by there um, obviously every morning, and so it's mm -hmm. um, it's um, it's busy. Let's just say that. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, a sad snapshot of of what a lot of people are facing and a lot of the crisis that people find themselves in. Right. I often think when I'm through there, and I am regularly as well. I often think about these are the you know these are the people that we see in person that are in crisis, it frightens me to think about uh, those that we don't see that are in crisis. Right. And, you know, I was reading something the other day, and I think it was uh, Sanjay, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. He's doing a whole thing on marijuana, something that I, I'm going to, um, you know, do um, in the near future, cover that. I'm not for recreational marijuana. but mm -hmm. um, And one of the reasons, you know, uh, is because um, – um, a lot of people that I know that are in recovery all started, myself included. We started with cigarettes. We started with marijuana, went to alcohol, and and progressed into a life of addiction. And so, um, 
but so somebody had sent me something from uh, uh, the Dr. Gupta there, <clears throat> and uh, he's got something coming up on medical marijuana and um, opioids. And in his in the article that I was reading, and um, it stated that that in 2017 we lost 68,000 people to drug overdoses. 68,000 people in 2017. I was actually I had read something earlier. It was at 66,000, and um, and so I, I must have had my numbers wrong. But to, I was trying to put that into perspective for people, so people would understand. Is it just j- um, I? 68,000 lives lost in 2017, and Gillette Stadium capacity is 68,756 seats. We, wow. So, I, I, you know, uh, every time we do this show, I, I want that out there because I want people to understand. We lost a whole stadium of people in one year. It's, it's absolutely horrifying. And Boston and Massachusetts has one of the highest rates. Right. Too. Um, I think we are... We're in the top six. I forget offhand now where we are in uh, overdose deaths, but it's high. It's high. And, you know, and in, in for me, um, working in the corrections and everything, and I see a lot of these people, they come in, and I, I'm, and I, I use this word fortunate that I get to see them when they're clean. Um, and, you know, they're just they're, – they're people that are struggling. Um, they're people that have issues, and there's a few issues – that have to be addressed, and um, it's sad because they're not not necessarily bad. We do have bad people in there, but but the majority of them are just in their the circumstances because of their addiction and the things that they had right. to do. Um, so, uh, which is one of the reasons I'll, I'll just throw this out there was the start of this podcast was because as you was just talking about stigma uh, or trying to get people to look at things a little bit differently. This whole podcast was uh, came about from a friend of mine who has seven years clean and from heroin, and uh, just a, a great young man who's um, trying also trying to make a difference. But uh, this podcast came about to, um, as we put it, an open discussion and respectfully sharing of ideas and inspirations about all forms of recovery from addiction. And so the idea was just to begin to get people to um, to maybe look at things just slightly different. And so um, and one of those things I was just curious about was the safe injection site. So I've read that a few times um, in the newspaper and, and you be doing the work that you do in the city. Uh, you've done a little, or you've done uh, uh, a good amount of research into it. Uh, you're not for it, correct? Right. I'm not. A, I'm not a proponent of safe injection sites. And what, what's the reason? I know, like, um, it's it's. Um, there's a couple of uh, what is it? Um, like Canada. Um, there's a couple of places that have safe injection sites. What what is it that you um, the um, I'm not for. Like, what is it that you Well, see? I mean, there's a couple. Sorry, I just get not, sitting in the car. It's so beautiful out. I want to be outside. So wait. So wait, long, uh, Anissa. How long these days will last? Yeah. No, Anissa. And the thing is, is you're, um, you're, um, you're at the baseball game? I'm at my, you know, one of my boys plays baseball. Yeah. So all of them play baseball. But one of them <laughs> had a game today. Yeah. One so. of the, um, you know, one of the challenges with safe injection um, that we, that we have have seen in some of the research, because I haven't, we don't have it in Boston, we don't have it in the United States, although there are a number of places that are looking to pilot programs because of 
some of the success that's been uh, documented in Canada and in Europe. But one, you know, there's a, there's a number of different challenges. One, safe injection came about through, and, and I guess I should preface my comments by saying I am not a professional, I'm a politician right. um, who cares about uh, people that are in crisis, that are, are in active addiction and looking for ways to, to help them find a lifetime of recovery, but also as a, 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 a politician, as a policymaker, as a decision maker in the city, they under, you know, really understanding and looking at all of the tools that we could have and do have at our disposal and how to best utilize them right. uh, for the greatest number of people in in the city and beyond, because we know in the city of Boston that we're taking care of a lot of people that aren't originally from the city, that you know come from outside, they, they land in Boston um, for a number of different reasons. When we talk about safe injection, we don't, we haven't really had the conversation about the change in the drug. So safe injection came about um, when heroin use or any sort, you know, when we were, when, when the drug of choice was heroin. Right. And, you know, the, I think the drug of choice still remains to be heroin when we talk about injectables, but it has been quickly, um, quickly uh, turned over to fentanyl. Right. And, and we know that the overdose rate, the increased overdose rate has come from fentanyl. But then all, also the habits of the user, of, of someone who's in active addiction, changes uh, based on that drug. And, and fentanyl gives a much stronger high, a much more intense high than heroin. But it lasts, um, its effects are much, much shorter. Right. So there's this need for repeat use. So thinking about the role that a safe injection facility could play, thinking about that behavior is one aspect. So that, that continued demand throughout the day. But then also the, the very high risk of overdose. And I will say as a harm reduction strategy, safe injection facilities um, do save lives. No one dies in a safe injection facility. Right. But there are people that are dying around safe injection facilities. That it has become, you know, the Vancouver model, which I haven't seen in person, uh, but have talked to a number of people who have gone to visit it and take a, a close look. The Vancouver model on the inside, again, is successful, that they, they are finding um, they are able to save lives while people are using indoors. But right outside the doors of that facility, that is not a success. That there, there are people in distress um, and that the city of Vancouver has really sort of blocked off this one section of the city and created somewhat of a red light district to put those that are most vulnerable, to put those that are in crisis. And, as, you know, as opposed to investing time and resources and energy into getting people into real recovery, right. not extending their lives and their addiction. Right. It's finding an opportunity to get people who are in crisis into real recovery. Um, so in... And that right there is, I would think, the biggest challenge. A lot of people that I know um, that are in recovery, you know, the longer you can keep them in, a, in a, a solid foundation of recovery. So like these programs, uh -huh. uh, 30 days, uh, 90 days, whatever. I mean, that's, I mean, me personally, that's, 
when when I was reading on that, that's what I was thinking myself. And I know some people might disagree. Some people might be for the safe injection sites, and that's that's okay. And I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, I, me personally, I would rather see money go into long-term recovery uh, myself. Right. Well, personally. and we have to also discuss the the um, the very real. Um, the very real reality, the reality that it is against federal law, that there is no licensed medical professional that can actively participate in this type of um, clinical experiment. And for medical doctors and RNs, anyone that's licensed in the medical field cannot participate. I do agree in the most recent criminal reform bill that um, has passed at the state house. Um, I, I supported and agree with decriminalizing anyone who's in the presence of a heroin user, um, because that until until this passed, it was illegal to even you know it, technically. Although I don't think it happened very regularly. Technically, if you called in someone who overdosed on heroin um, and or fentanyl you could be arrested for being in the presence right. of, of them using. Right. And so we needed to we needed to change that. That's part of the destigmatizing the addiction, but it's also um, another tool in helping people access help. Right, right. Um, and so what, what have you, uh, being in the city, Anissa, what have you, um, actually, what about, I mean, when you were teaching in school, um, have you? Did you have to deal with anything like drugs or anything in school? Um, as far as I mean, I know you do. Yeah, I but. mean we. Yeah, so I taught um, juniors and seniors mostly. I was at East Boston High for 13 years prior to joining the Boston City Council, and we have students. I've had students that both were um, dealing with their own substance use disorders, personal substance use disorders as well as living in um, living with families, parents, caregivers, uh, siblings that were also in, um, you know, faced with their own addiction challenges, both, right. um, you know, with all, you know, the variety of substance use disorders that individuals face. Our kids are, you know, our students are no different than in any other member of any other community. But right. the, the challenges, just because they're high school kids, doesn't exempt them from the challenges of life. Well, you know, if they're high school kids, I, I think our own experience out here being at school and, and the limited amount um, of time we've been able to even, um, like, get into the schools, and I'm talking it's, like, scarce. Um, we went to the middle school uh, when we first started this Hobart Cares Coalition, and we've talked to the um, sixth graders. Those kids, they already, they knew more than uh, we even expected them to, to know. Um, yeah. You know, because, and then we kind of realized, well, I mean, why wouldn't they know? Their family members are dealing with this and, um, you know, and so, the, I mean, does, does Boston have any type of educational program when it comes to addiction? Um, well, I don't, not specific to addiction, although it is part of the curriculum when we talk about health. Um, we do as a city, uh, we have acknowledged that we need to do a better job talking about, I think, the wider spectrum of addiction and, and what our kids and their families and, and people in our communities are facing. Um, you know, no doubt. And I think we, you know, even as a teacher, I, I'd like to think that 
my kids aren't, my students aren't dealing with this trauma. Uh, but in fact, like you said, they are. And, yeah, they are. and in many ways, they know so much more about this crisis than anyone else. Because right. for a lot of our kids, they're living it day in and day out. And they're often their caretakers day in and day out. Do you, any any reason, like, I mean, why is it so difficult, like, to even begin to address these this in the school? Because in order for this this whole epidemic to stop, you know, it's it, it comes down to education and educating our youths. And I've always... Well, I think that... I, I, I would say that we have started. We've yeah. talked about, you know, and through the years, you're familiar from your, you know, when you were younger in school, when I was younger in school, the, you know, the different anti-drug um, use, anti-drinking campaigns, anti-smoking campaigns. Some were certainly more successful than others. Um, and, and we continue to learn, too, about different substances. We, di we continue to learn about the realities of addiction uh, in society, and as we as we learn, we try to be as as quick as we can, and you know, change policy as rapid as we can, and and change, you know, how we're sharing information with our young people as quickly as we can. Right, and um, yeah, you know, it's just like I've always said, it's it, we are making progress, and I do see. Um, you know, we're having that positive ripple effect. We might not see it in the moment, but because we're mm -hmm. educating people and, um, you know, these grassroots coalitions, like the one that I belong to here in Holbrook, uh, yeah. and, and all the other it's, ones. It's the... too slow for too many people that have, you know, unfortunately have either died or yeah. have lost a loved one. I know, and that's, the, that's where the frustration lies, is as we continue to move forward, you know, people are still dying around us. I will tell you this, on three separate occasions now, um, um, a high school down this area, um, I talked to a gentleman last night, um, and I forget where the other one was. I know there was one, I want to say West, uh, but the, the question was put out there uh, with the students, like, what drugs are you seeing in the schools? And three different occasions, same thing, marijuana and cocaine. Which the, really? co the cocaine, as a matter of fact, the gentleman I was talking to tonight, last night, and he's involved in recovery and he has been for quite some time, they're lacing the cocaine with fentanyl. And that cocaine is, is really making a comeback in the schools. And um, It's amazing. Yeah, and it has to it's, be addressed. I, mean, I, thought, I, I was assuming the answer would be, and the, the, the probably more correct answer is all of them. Yeah. Um, the, I think that all... all Drugs have found a way, um, unfortunately, into too many of our kids' hands. And um, I think that as adults, we need to deal with that reality. You know, as a parent, that's a, it's a really difficult reality to even imagine, never mind sort of deal with face on right. uh, when and hopefully never the time comes. We do have, I'm not sure if you're aware, we do have in Massachusetts a recovery school. Yes. Um, it's the Ostegaid School in downtown Boston, but services kids yep. from across across the area, and they really do an amazing um, effort with some kids who are uh, more mature than yeah. any one of us are, for sure, with the challenges that they are facing day on, head on, day in and day out. Right. Actually, yeah, uh, and that's off of uh, Willie Ostegaid, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I know Willie. I know Willie. Willie was... Um, um, good uh, friend of my father's. Actually, a good friend of everybody. 
He is. Which is yeah. why uh, why that um, that school is appropriately named. So uh, yeah, Anissa, I've, had, I've had the opportunity. I say one of the greatest things about my job is it. Uh, I find myself invited to to witness and experience things that I never never thought I would have the chance to, and, and things I never knew existed. Right. And to be exposed to, to the teaching staff at the Ostagai School um, and those kids, I mean, it's just really a very powerful experience. And, um, you know, some of the strongest people I know or I've ever met, I suppose, are, you know, teaching yeah. there and graduating from that school and that program. That's powerful, especially when they graduate and they're able to move on because oh, it gives hope yeah. to other people that are struggling. Yep. Um, so, Anissa, I know you're at your baseball, the uh, Suns baseball game. So um, what I do want to talk to you really about and in, in what you're, um, you're really – you've been behind the most is the pharmacy needle um, take back, right? Can you, yep. Can yep. you so, tell us uh, about that and what you're trying to do and what you would like to see and, and how you actually came about? This became one of your um, issues that you wanted to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. So as a, as a city councilor, we um, very often throughout the day deal with constituent concerns and responding to challenges that our neighbors, our residents are facing. And one thing that we had seen um, sort of really get highlighted for us is improperly discarded needles in our neighborhood. So people were finding them in their gutters, the curbs, um, in their backyards. And then we were, you know, we had a few incidences where they were found. We had one student unfortunately stuck uh, with an improperly discarded hypodermic needle on a schoolyard. And it was, you know, that's it, it, a scary, um, a scary thing to have happen to one of our kids in the city. So we decided to do a hearing to understand the amount of uh, needles that we were finding and, and the amount, the number of calls that were coming in and what we were picking up across the city. And we had folks from the Boston Public Health Commission come in. We have an AHOPE and PATHS program that's really successful in the city of Boston. We also have a mobile sharps pickup team and we held a hearing. And um, prior to the hearing, we did some preparation. We thought there was maybe 9,000 needles over this one year period. So, you know, two years ago, um, we thought there was 9,000 needles. We held the hearing and realized that there were actually 20,000 needles that were picked up over this 12 month time. And that's a, a tremendous number. That's just and in the Boston then, area, right? In the Boston that area? just in the city of Boston. Yeah, city of Boston. Yeah. And then um, one of the news, local newspapers had done some more research and, and realized it was actually um, a, a compounding problem, that it was actually growing much more than that. And we were finding closer to that number almost by the month in the city of Boston. And at the same time, we were receiving, when we, we had some media around our hearing, we started receiving phone calls from residents saying, well, you know, I have diabetes or my cat has diabetes. I received fertility treatment that was an, an injectable. I have a chronic illness that requires me to use um, an injectable drug. And we have all these needles. We don't know what to do with them. And they were collecting them at home because they didn't have a proper, they knew it was improper to just throw them out. Right. So they were calling us for help and guidance. So we do have a number of 
free kiosks across the city where you could drop off needles. Uh, but then we also were hearing from people that said, I wish I knew about those free spots because I wouldn't have thrown my needles in the trash at home. Um, so we also, you know, we've got this problem at home where used needles are ending up in household trash. So we thought, well, what can we do with this? We've only got these nine locations in the city of Boston. We need more. And we thought pharmacies are, are the answer. They participate in the sale through prescription or over-the-counter of needles. And we, we need their help in getting these needles off of the street, but then also out of household trash. So last year, I filed a, a hearing order last summer, I suppose it was now, a hearing order that would require all pharmacies in the city of Boston to have kiosks and take back needles. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a number of hearings uh, last uh, summer into the fall. We are working on a rewrite of that order. You know, there, you know, the first the first draft isn't always isn't always the best. We got some really good helpful feedback from locally owned pharmacies, um, some feedback from the chains and some local health centers that are also interested in, in supporting this work. Um, so we are working on a, an edit now and looking to some of the pilots um, that are happening across the city and so, state, I'm sorry, across the country, some pilots that are happening because it's not, it's not general practice that pharmacies take needles back. Right. And so, um, and so where are we at with that? That's going to be um, um, up to vote in the summertime? Is so we're, we're actually rewrite. We're working on our rewrite right now. There's a, um, another ordinance that we found that's being piloted in New York, um, in a suburban community in New York, that we're trying to extract their best practices and, and work with the attorney general on some of the work that her office has done. Okay on drug take-back pilots, and then um, connect with the Department of Public Health, the Board of Pharmacy, because they're the two licensing agencies for pharmacies on what their potential problems could be with our rewrite. So we think that um, sometime in June or July, we should be ready to refile a much better, much better written, I don't know if that's proper grammar, better written draft um, of, a, of a new ordinance and not restart the hearing process, but get back to some of the work that we were in the midst of last year before right. we um, decided that we should fiddle with it a little bit more and, and make it a better a better ordinance. Because the last, you know, there's a, there's a, what I think is a great ordinance in Alameda County in California, but theirs ended up in litigation and in court. So it's of no use to anybody. So I'd like to make sure that the ordinance that we put forth and, and pass as a body, um, and there's um, a, a, a general positive um, response to, to pharmacies participating in this work from my colleagues. Right. That you know, I want I want an ordinance that will be successful, and and work in the city of Boston actually make an impact. Awesome. So I guess Anissa, that's um, that's excellent. Wish you, uh, you uh, wish you good luck and um, and uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I I know you're very very busy and um, I really appreciate you taking time out of the day to talk to us and educate us and and I know the job that you do is not hard because like you said you have to come up with um, you know um, these um, these initiatives.
initiatives and everything, and you have to look at the whole picture. And so, you know, some people are going to be affected, but, yep. you know, that's difficult to do. But, you know, you, if your focus is on the, the, the best interest of the city, you know, you can't go wrong. But I'm sure you take a lot of heat for that. Um, I take some heat for yeah. it, but I've got good partners in this work, and none of us are here alone. And, um, you know, in order to have a good piece of legislation or to have a good piece of policy or to, to get anything done, we need to have the right partners at the table. And I, I, uh, I've done my very best to do that and continue to grow that circle of, of people that are interested in this work. And I appreciate your attention to this effort because it's, you know, I do enjoy my work and um, it's, it is actually pretty easy, yeah. I think. Um, although it can be intense at times and maybe not always pleasant, so generally it's easy when I think about the great city of Boston and its wonderful residents. But I, I, I think it's only easy because there are folks like you doing this work and you do, I get paid for my job. Right. You don't get paid for your job. No. And, uh, mine's easier because of efforts of yours. Right. Well, you know, I mean, but it's good to know. It's good to let people know that um, there's work being done on all all sides. You know, sometimes we like to point the finger at our politicians, say, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Um, but, you know, as a whole, we are out there and we're doing the work. And, and eventually, the, you know, we will... Um, educate people and it will begin to change and everything so thank you so much yep. for the work that you do i know you're getting paid i hope you're getting paid well um well i get i get to take an afternoon off every now and then and watch yeah. the kids play some ball and that's good and then, uh, back to community meetings tonight but yeah. i wouldn't have it any other way awesome so thank you so much anisa um enjoy the rest of your day and the games and i will everything. tell sarah hello when you see her tomorrow i will um it will no i'm off tomorrow I'm off tomorrow, but right, I will well, see you. And I did tag her All in right. this, so I hope she watched it. If she didn't watch, you need to put the smackdown on her. She'll let, she'll let me know. I should have put a hair elastic in if I was going <laughs> to do this outside. My hair blowing everywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, Anissa. Have a good day. Be safe. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. <clears throat> so, guys, that was, um, that was uh, Boston City Council at large. Um, Anissa Asabi George, and we just wanted to have her on here to talk about, um, you know, just the work that she's trying to do in the city um, and just uh, educate people a little bit more. Um, I know I, I did see some people were uh, putting stuff up on the, um, um, they were making comments and stuff, I think. Uh, Amy Monks was making comments. I'm sorry, Amy. I saw your name, but I can't, um, I can't read the whole thing. Um, you know, unless I put on my reading glasses, and as you can see right there, um, you know. But we do appreciate you guys um, listening in and uh, giving some feedback, uh, whether you agree, whether you don't agree. But that's the whole idea of this podcast is that, um, you know, we can all agree to disagree and continue moving forward um, and, and helping people in recovery, helping families in recovery, Um and uh, we just, uh, we lost a young gentleman um, um, last Thursday, 18 years old. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think he had been kind of battling his addiction from the age of 13 uh, up to 18. And um, I, that's important because if you're 13 years old, I mean, um, he began his life of addiction and it didn't end well. And his family is affected and everybody around him is affected and his friends are affected. And 
you know, if one day, I know it sounds like a cliche, if we can get that one person saved, if they can get through recovery because of maybe something that they heard or, or, or if you have a family member and, um, um, and you're pissed off at them, which is rightfully so because of things that they've done to feed their addiction and everything. And if we can just kind of change your thought process to where, you know, there is a little bit more compassion and everything, um, you know, that's the whole purpose of this, but mainly obviously to educate people and, and create resources and stuff. And so, um, we have the Hober Cares Coalition and, um, we meet which is a, what I'm a part of. Um, we meet um, every Tuesday in Holbrook at the town hall from 7 to 9 p.m. Um, we met last night, and uh, it was um, we talked about uh, grief. We had a speaker come in. Um, Robin Houston Bean came in and talked about grief, and um, she talked about her story, which is very powerful. And we're going to actually get uh, Robin on here to talk about um you know, what, what happened with her and her son and everything and, and the positive things that she's doing now, um, to make a difference in obviously the name of her son and, um, helping other people. But the Hober Cares, um, coalition is an opportunity for you to reach out and get some resources. The Rock Bottom to Recovery Facebook page, I try to put, uh, resources on there. Um, I think two weeks ago we had, um, Judy McDonough from the Edwina Martin House. Um, it's a recovery house in Brockton for women. Uh, we had a big fundraiser. They raised a ton of money. They're, they're adding a third graduate house for the women in recovery. It gives them a longer term um, in recovery, which will give them a better chance of staying clean and sober. Um, she was on, but... I put the helpline. She really stressed the helpline number for anybody that had questions, anything, anything when it comes to addiction. Um, the helpline number is on the Rock Bottom to Recovery Facebook page with Judy McDonough, so you can go there. And I'll, I'll somehow put it somewhere up top. So she said that's always a great place to start uh, when you have questions. Um, and, uh, you know, you can message us. We're on Facebook. Cobra Kids is on Facebook. Rock Bottom to Recovery is on Facebook. You can listen to our past episodes on iTunes and Podbeans. we got some amazing um, episodes. Uh, next Wednesday, we're recording every Wednesday, and I'm going to get it so I can record directly from Rock Bottom to Recovery. Today we were messing around, um, recording from my page, and then we share it to Rock Bottom to Recovery. But ideally what I would like to do is for people to come to the Rock Bottom page, uh, watch the uh, live stream video, um, and maybe share it to my personal page. But I guess we'll have to work on that. Um, and uh, so next week, uh, Wednesday, 4.30, we'll be back here at the Holbrook HCAM uh, recording. And the topic is going to be uh, grandparents raising grandkids. So if you know any grandparents uh, that are raising grandkids because of this opiate epidemic, you know, um, get them connected in and hopefully we can get them re some resources or better yet, maybe they have resources they'd like to share with us um, so we can help other people because we know that's a huge, huge thing going on right now with uh, people um, struggling with their addiction is that um, they can't parent so their their parents are, are taking over and uh, there's a lot, a lot of uh, work there and uh, we're going to address that. Um, and we do have some, um, <clears throat> every Wednesday, we're going to have other uh, speakers on. And I'm going to put a guest list up. So, uh, again, guys, thank you for tuning in. Um, 
Go to the page, like us, share us, let people know, and um, give us some feedback, whether you agree, you don't agree. And other than that, have a uh, safe day and get out and enjoy the rest of the weather, and we'll talk to you later. And that's a really cool uh, backdrop, Dylan. Listen, if you go to this, if you watch, like, the first episode to now, like, we're really beginning to grow and, and be, become better, aren't we? More professional. That's Dylan. Dylan's working the, um, what is that thing right there, Dylan? The soundboard. Yeah, I should have known that. But Dylan's working the soundboard, the camera, and everything. So we're becoming more professional. So thank you, guys. Take care. Be safe. And uh, that's it. Bye-bye.